Welcome to the show. This is Recover Like a Mother. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Lane Kennedy, and this show is inspired by recovery and living a calm life. If you're missing out on living a calm life, I'm so glad you're here. If you're in recovery and you're looking for answers, I'm so glad you're here. If you want to be a guest on the show, please reach out. I would love to have you. Thank you for being here. Now let's get into today's episode. It's quite a voice there. It's quite a voice, right? So you've always, you've told your son, so he saw you drinking. He definitely saw me drinking. I wish I could tell you that I hid it from him. Like I used to have rules about, I won't drink till I put him to bed or I won't drink out of the bottle. I'll, you know, make the drink look like a normal drink, but no, he definitely saw me drinking. He saw me sleeping off a lot of hangovers. Right. And and that's like a normal part of life. Yeah. A lot of mothers who find recovery. And so often I hear the shame around that and the guilt, but when we find recovery, we get to like take ownership of our sobriety and this new life. And then we get to share that with our kids. What is like, what has been the biggest thing that your kid has seen you take on or how how is, what's the biggest change that he has seen? I think the biggest change he has seen is that I'm really fully present. Although I did for many years, I took my alcoholism after I got sober and it very much morphed into workaholism. So I have a very distinctive memory of being at his music concert in high school. I think he was a sophomore. He was in the choir and we were driving home after the concert. And he was like, mom, how did I do? And I was like, oh, honey, you did amazing. You did so great. I've never been prouder. And he said, really? Cause I could see you from the stage and it looked like you were on your phone the whole time. Welcome mama. And this is Elise Bryson from Sober Curator. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. It's another episode full of life in recovery. Welcome to the show. If you're new, welcome. If you're coming back, welcome. I'm so glad you made it back. Elise, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. So you, I found you online in all of my like searching for the cool things that are out there in the world. And I am a huge pop culture fan. Just going to own that. So when I came about your site, I was like, oh my God, there's someone else like me. There's someone else like me. (laughs) I loved it so much. How did you get into creating the Sober Curator? So the Sober Curator is not even a year old yet. We launched it in, well, I, I launched it by accident because I published the website before it was ready and I didn't know how to unpublish it. So there's that, but we launched it last summer, August. And, but it's an idea that I had been talking about with a sober friend and coworker. We've been talking about it for about a year because I had this desire for a sober lifestyle magazine. I, my background, I ran Seattle's largest lifestyle magazine for nearly a decade. And I'm now at a big TV station doing a lot of lifestyle content. So lifestyle magazines, pop culture, that's my shtick. It has been forever. And so I was looking for a sober version, like a sober Vanity Fair meets Rolling Stone meets GQ. Like, can I have that please? Maybe sprinkle in a little sober Martha Stewart. Like that's what I'm looking for. And I couldn't find it. There are some great sober magazines and resources out there, but not a lot of them are very clinical, uh, which is fine. 
that there, there's a need for that, but it wasn't what I was looking for. And so, you know, the pandemic gave us all the gift of time. And so I was like, well, you know what, if I can't find what I'm looking for, why don't I just build it myself? And so that's, you know, that's how it can be. I love it. I'm so glad. One of the many gratitudes for the pandemic, just being able to create. Yes. Effortlessly. Right. So you've been sober. You're 15 years sober. 15. 15. Just turned 15 on May 1st of 2021. Yes. Amazing. So we call that long-term recovery, which I love. Was it easy for you to get sober? No, definitely not. Okay. Tell us about that. What happened? Uh, no, definitely not. But it it was a long time coming. And when I finally had that surrender point, that kind of burning bush surrender, I'm done point, then I'm the kind of person that when I'm in, I'm all in, you know, I'm like in way past I probably what I should be in. And so once I made that decision, it was like, no, this has to happen because if not, I'm going to die and things are going to get worse. You know, I could see that I was just at that point where, all the balls were about to start dropping and I hadn't lost, well, I'd lost a lot, but not on paper. I still had the car, the job, the kid, the place to live. I still had all the things, but it was, it was starting to feel like I wasn't going to keep it all together. So after having that, I, and throwing myself into recovery, then I, then I kind of overdid recovery at the beginning and in ways that were not actually working on my recovery, but superficial ways. Like I got a book cover for my big book because only serious people get book covers on their books. Right. And I did all these service positions and I learned all the buzzwords. And 15 years ago, the landscape for recovery was not what it looks like today. We didn't have social media, right? MySpace was there. Facebook was just starting, but there was no social media influencers. There were no podcasts. There were no bloggers. None of that existed. There was a small self-help section at Barnes and Noble, right? So I threw myself into 12-step meetings and got a therapist and did a lot of work on myself in and out of the rooms of 12-step. And then my life got a lot better. But it wasn't until probably at about the five-year mark that I really was able to get honest with myself about, you know, you remove the alcohol, all the problems are still, and the behaviors were still there. I just had removed the being drunk and being hungover, but I still hadn't corrected a lot of things that needed to be dealt with, whether they were past things and traumas to work through or just behaviors that were unattractive. So once I really dug into that through a variety of different ways, that's when things really started opening up for me. And I became, that's when I think I really became recovered versus just sober. And I know, you know, that there's like very much a difference and, and that's when it all just started kind of clicking. And I stopped doing it as showboating. And I really just did it because this is a way of life. Now, this is, this is how I get through life. And I'm very much a one day at a time girl. Cause if you had told me 15 years ago, if you just do this, this, and this, you're going to get 15 years sober and all these things are going to happen. I would have been like, no, that's not possible. So it's been quite a journey. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, I think I was five years sober when I had that, like, oh, oh shit, I need to I need to wake up here. I need to change. I need to, I need to like, things have to shift. And I ended up in Bangkok and living abroad and really kind of 
going down this spiritual path, which I'm super grateful for. When you turned five, where did your path take you? I actually was at a work, a magazine conference in Chicago for my fifth anniversary of sobriety. And I went, I went to the Chanel store and bought myself a pair of earrings as a splurge. And I posted like celebrating my Chanel number five, because I was not at five years sober. If in person, if I felt like it was valuable to add to the conversation, I would tell people I was sober, but I was not recovering out loud, so to speak. And I was definitely not putting it on social media. I was putting in, if I was, it was in very cryptic ways, if that makes sense. So I was in Chicago around a bunch of people drinking large amounts of alcohol for my fifth anniversary. But it was also at that time that I realized I really needed some outside sources. Um, I was suffering from depression and I had been really advert. I had had real, I just really didn't want to get on medication. I don't know why, like I had made a stigma around it. And it's not like I was that particular about the things I put in my body up until that point. So it seemed really silly, right? That I was like, oh, I can't put that on my body. Really? Because I put a bunch of stuff off the street in my body. But getting on medications really did balance me out. And it kept, it, it, you know, while it may have kept the highs from being really high, it also kept the lows from being really low. And it just gave me that kind of extra layer of protection insurance that I needed. And so now I do a lot of things to, you know, to have bumpers in place for accountability, people that will randomly check on me, be like, Hey, did you take your meds today? Hey, how's that prayer and meditation going? Hey, are you drinking enough water? Are you getting enough exercise? Are you getting enough sleep? Really simple things. But for some reason, those don't come easy to me. I need like frequent reminders. I think we all need those frequent reminders. Yeah. <laughs> I, I need them. I still need them. You said something really like, I want to dig into it a bit. You know, 15 years ago, there was no social presence of sobriety. Like, like I don't know of any, um, like I can't even, like there was a movie, there were a couple movies, couple movies well, yeah, yeah. that were really kind of devastating, but there was nobody really talking, you know, Matthew Perry talked about his sobriety and he kept relapsing our friends person, but there, yeah, there wasn't. And now fast forward to where we're at, there is such a presence. What do you think about that? Like I'm overwhelmed by all the different pathways. I think it is magical. What do you think about it? I think it's magical. I think that there are now 50 shades of gray when it comes to recovery, 50 shades of recovery. I don't think there is one end all be all way in. I know for me, it looks like total abstinence from alcohol. I can't put anything in my body because, and I know that because when I start, I can't stop. So that's for me. There might be other people that can have, you know, once a year, a celebratory champagne or cocktail. I can't do that, but it doesn't, you know, and I, I did outpatient. I didn't do treatment. I, I very much needed treatment, you know, and I joke all the time now, like I would love to go to treatment now. Like, why isn't there a treatment center you can go to when you're 15 years sober <laughs> to really work on yourself? Like, where's that treatment center? Okay. Well, okay, okay let's stop to. right there. You know, I that... want and yoga and, right? like, shouldn't that exist? Yeah. Okay. That right there is it's the hard stop. I think there is something that happens at 15 where we have to re, we have to go in deeper. 
we have to rewire things. And if you're less than 15, if you're 10 years sober, if you're five years sober, don't worry about it. I'm talking to olders. We're talking about older sobriety right now, but I feel like you're, you're onto that. Like there should be, this is a great business idea right here, (laughs) a place for women, mothers, that's right. You Mm -hmm. to go and reboot, right? Like really get in there and uncover because there's new things that uncover. There's new things that all of a sudden you discover, right? I, I I was 18, 15, 17, I think I was 18 years sober. And all of a sudden I was, I was like, what is this feeling? And it was rage. I was getting out of my car Okay. Getting out of my car in traffic because somebody wouldn't like, let me go around. Yeah. You know, like rage was living in my body and I didn't know how to deal with it. Episode number two or three with Jana, we talk about the same thing. Like as the longer we're sober, we have to deal with deeper emotions and we're, we're blindsided by them. Were you blindsided right now? Have you been blindsided Blindsided. by things? Yes. Like, I'll give you an example. Yeah. For some reason, my son was nine when I got sober. Okay. Very open with him about my recovery. I'm sure I dragged him to lots of places. He would have loved to have not have had to gone to, had people coming in and out the house all the time around recovery. And somehow I got it in my head when he turned 18, like, we're just going to become best friends. And my role as a parent is over. I see you laughing because it is, it is, it is. I'm sorry, this is going to burst a lot of mommy bubbles right now, but parenting an adult child, whole different ball game because you don't actually have any control. <laughs> oh my God, I love this. I just said, my son is 11 and I just said, so we have, you know, like six or seven more years. And, and he was like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, you know, it's going to be like, you're going to move on. He's like, Oh no, I'm not. I'm like, Oh yes, you are. (laughs) But it, it totally freaks me out. This idea of just saying, okay, bye, go ahead, do your thing. Don't worry. Cause you won't. No. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't actually work like that. It just doesn't like not even a little bit, not even at all. And then I had to think about it. And I was like, why did I think that I moved in and out of my parents' house as a young single mom? Like, multiple times in my twenties. And I still leaned on them for support and help and assistance in my thirties. I even, when I was, I think 35, my career was really booming. I was very busy running a magazine. And so my mom and my son was in high school, not driving yet. And my mom was like, well, that's the time that you don't want to leave kids home alone because that's when they're getting into trouble. So she retired and came up and was staying with us like three days a week to like help him with his homework, help keep the housekeeping going. I mean, that was a huge sacrifice, you know, but we both believed it was what was best for him. And so I don't know why I somehow had this idea that at 18, it's just like, bye, thanks. Give me a call sometime. Uh, no, it doesn't work like that. Not even, no, no, it doesn't. So he's 24 now, 24. Mm-hmm. right? So from 18 to 24, what have been some of the obstacles or challenges that you have had to really work your program around? I'm sure. 
he, oh, you know, and he's, and home. you can keep it to you. You can keep it to like, yeah, but he's home. Okay, he can okay. hear me right now, but I mean, he can hear me all the time. Cause I'm a very loud person, which he likes to remind me of, you know, it's hard because as, at 18 they're you know, they have their own jobs. They're doing some school. They've got their circle of friends. They've got some of their own freedoms. And so they want all the adults privileges, but they're not quite ready to have let go of the childlike behavior. So there's, there's that, that, you know, you balance for quite a while. He was dating someone that I didn't think, you know, was probably the right fit. And that turned into a long-term relationship. They ended up moving in together and we had, there was a couple of years there where it was not, it was not great relationship between him and I, which made me very sad because I was so devastated that it had just been, I don't know if, I don't know I've never been, a, I've always just been a single parent. It's always just been him and I. So I have no idea what it's like for two parent households. But for me, it was like, he was such a big part of my life. So then to not, it was just to have this void, even with two dogs that still didn't fill the void of, I didn't have my main person that is always there factoring in. So yeah, it's definitely had its challenges. And I watch him like a hawk. Like, is he going to make all the mistakes I made? Is he going to become an alcoholic? Is he going to, you know, and that's really unfair for me to push my stuff on him. And he's going to have his own stuff. He is. And I need to let him be his own person. As long as he just, you know, still wants to hang out with me all the time. Like why? I just don't know why. And so it's all about deeper acceptance. Yeah. It's so hard. I mean, my kid's only 11 and I'm still like the layers of acceptance of just, he is who he is. He is a neurodivergent kid. So I'm really like out of my league completely. And I have to just accept that he's not going to be able to do a, B or C for the rest of his life. And that like for many, for many years, I, I, I was like sad over it. You know, I had to go through this kind of grief around it. And now I'm like, okay, this is just who he is. And I just get to love him for that. But it's so hard. So hard. It's hard when you, you your child has challenges that just are, and you have yeah. to learn to adapt. So when my son was 18, just, it was just after he had graduated high school, he was diagnosed with Crohn's disease and, and had to have a very major surgery, which took him out of school of which he never ended up returning, at least not yet. He hasn't. And, you know, Crohn's disease is, it's not a fun, it's not a fun disease by any means. It's very physical. It's very hard on his body. He has to always be aware of where the restrooms are for easy, you know, to get to them quickly. And that's been hard for him and hard for me. Cause it's just like, I wish I could fix it. I wish I could take it on for him, but I can't, all I can do is like project manage all of his medical appointments. But then it even got to a point. It's like, I shouldn't be doing all of that for him because he needs to know how to make all of his medical appointments. Right. And so I had to like, even take, and that was hard for me. Cause I'm like, what if he doesn't take his vitamins? What if he doesn't, you know, what if he doesn't do this? What if he doesn't do that? And it's like, at a certain point, I can't do it all for him or I'm not helping him. It's so, it's so, hard. It's it's so, so hard. tricky. Motherhood is so tricky. Yeah. It's it, not for wimps. No, it is such an emotional at roller coaster. All. So when you're in these moments of like letting go or surrender, 
Like, what do you do it? Like, what's your practice look like for that? Oh, I cry. I cry a lot. <laughs> yeah. I don't tell new people in sobriety this, but like getting, getting sober, being recovered, it basically turns you into a crier. And I was, I, you know, I didn't like having, I only wanted good emotions. I didn't like bad emotions. And so I didn't even want to cry in front of myself, but now I just cry all the time. And that makes me feel good. I do a lot of walking of my dogs, which makes me feel good and listen to other people's I love Clubhouse. I love podcasts. I like escaping in other people's stories. And I do, you know, being of service to other people, volunteering, and that could look like a lot of different things. It can be working with another woman in recovery, but it can also be, you know, working at a food bank. It can look like a lot of things, but for me, being very, very active in being of service to other people is at, at, at the core, that is what keeps me grounded because when I'm helpful to other people, it's very hard to be helpful to other people and feel sorry for yourself at the same time. And that is something that my dad ingrained in me since I was a kid. He would be like, listen, you're having a, you feel bad. You don't like this, that, and the other thing, go help someone and then come back. And if you're still upset, we'll talk about it. And I, I would always come back and be happy because helping other people makes you feel good. It's that's the secret sauce. That is the secret sauce. I love that you just brought service up. So I know that service and I do a lot of secret service and I do a lot of big service because it makes me feel good Yeah, because I'm not thinking about myself and my life. I'm thinking about the project or whatever I'm working on. Do you, are you affiliated with any service organizations? Are you invested? I am. I am several. I've done a lot of various things right now. I'm working with the King County Recovery Coalition and the Washington State Recovery Alliance. I just stepped off the board of the Recovery Cafe where I had been on the board for six years. I've also done works with the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation because of my son. I'm a heart disease survivor. I had emergency heart surgery at the age of 40. And so I have been a Go Red for Women ambassador for the American Heart Association. And then I do a lot of work with nonprofits in my day job. I created this event in Seattle. It's essentially a philanthropic adult carnival. Each of the nonprofits set up a booth that with a fun game or activity that when you come by their booth to play the game or activity, you can learn about what their organization does. And it's kind of like going like speed dating for a nonprofit. And I turned it into this big, like super fun event. And that is, I've done it for several years now. It's something that really gets me excited. It's an incredible amount of work year round for like a three hour window of time. But I really believe that the more that we expose people to service work and, and, and then take this a lot of people think that service work, it's like, oh, does that mean they're going to take all my time? Are they going to take all my money? What does that mean? People don't necessarily always, or they don't know how to get started. There are actually people that haven't had a lot of bad things happen to them. And so they don't necessarily have immediate connections with things. So I like to provide that opportunity to learn about all the different options and then figure out which ones are right with you and then take action. Because we can talk about things, but it doesn't really matter until we go out and do the thing. I'm just dropping in right here to remind you that you deserve to live an epic and amazing life. And if you're not, I want to be the one to support you in overcoming your burnout, eliminating your perfectionism, and any of those ruminating thoughts that keep you away from the life that you want to be living. 
check out my eight-week program, Mindful Safeguard, over at recoverlikeamother.com forward slash mindful. Thanks again for listening and let's get back into the episode. So your dad instilled in you this idea of service and then you got sober and service is a part of sobriety. So that must've been really easy, like no brainer. I got yeah. this. It didn't, it, it, it all, it all just made sense. It all just, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the organization that you're, you have six different organizations. Is that what it says in one event? Is that in, in that event? I actually had 35 nonprofits. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's amazing. And there was a whole alcohol free bar because yes. obviously, right. yeah. And great food and photo yeah. op and entertainment. And, you know, I love, I love really well thought out events where there's a surprise at every corner at every turn. I, it always comes down to that kind of like neurotic attention to detail for me, but I love it. What's your sign? I'm a cancer. Yeah, I know. What's your rising? Are you a Libra? I don't know what my rising is off the top of my head. How would I know that? Mm-hmm. All right, I'll have, I'll have to run your chart. Yeah, run my chart. <laughs> the way that you speak, I it just it makes sense to me. I'm a Cancer as well. Ah, and your birth date is when? July twentieth. I'm the twelfth, so we're very, 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 close. very close. Yeah. Okay. Back to our chat. Sorry, I got lost there for a minute as you were talking. One of the things that I really, really appreciate is this, these open conversations about sobriety. And I'm coming back to this because the media and you're in the media world and what you do, right? Back in the day, the media was shut down from all of this. And now we live in this very exposed way of life have, what have, what have been your thoughts as we've transitioned to this open recovery out loud sobriety? Do you think it's harmful? I'm so, I think that the bigger picture is for good. I think that there can be some harmful things out there, some things that might, people might think work for everyone. And then they find out it doesn't work for them. But at the, at the end of the day, the more people that are talking about addiction, the stigma gets chipped and chipped and chipped and chipped away. And, you know, it's just, when I got sober, I made the assumption that I'm not an alcoholic because I'm not homeless and I have all my teeth. I really believed that. I didn't understand all of the differences that are behind addiction and mental illness because they were not talked about, you know? I know that's, that's such a disservice right there, right? Back in the day. There was no discussion about mental health. There was no discussion about alcoholism, addiction. So now there is this like huge movement of people and breaking the stigma. I, I love this so much. And one thing that I want to just talk about really quickly are these, this movement around motherhood of like, remove the wine all day, get rid of the sippy cups, get rid of these ideas that as a mother, it's okay to drink all day. What do you think about like, how should we get rid of these ideas? Oh, we definitely need to get rid of mommy wine drinking culture. I, that a lot of that stuff came out after I got sober, but it was, it was still very much there 
towards the end. Like when I think about how I had my home decorated, my kitchen was all wine decor. Now, please know I didn't even drink wine. No, not a classy drinker over here. So, but I had all the wine decor. My dining room was all martini glasses. Wasn't really a martini girl either. I just, you know, I did whatever, like I thought it was like the glamor of drinking, but my drinking was never glamorous. And, you know, back in, what was it, December of 2020, when that Tropicana campaign came out with the secret refrigerators and taking time for yourself, like, and I know how many people had to be involved in creating that campaign, that it went through that's, so many layers. That's a lot of work, right? That's a, a lot of people said, and okay, nobody, no, and people signed off on it. All those people signed off on it. Nobody said, wait a minute, secret drinking is this maybe you know do I get the do I get the humor of the point they were trying to make yes I do it's not lost on me but I also understand the dangers of secret drinking as I was a secret secret drinker you know I was a PTA mom and I ran I did all the I did the drinking and the like the the responsible drinking with those friends and then I would go home and continue on and drink until I blacked out or passed out so I really do wish that we would get away from that, that it's not all about that. So how do we get away from it? Like, how do we do that as a sober community and sober moms? How do we break that? How do we say enough is enough? I think just continuing to post when we see the things that are just aren't okay and be like, this isn't okay. I remember seeing a couple months ago. I think it was kids are going back to school marketing campaign that was in like a grocery store about don't forget your wine because kids are going back to school. You deserve it. And like calling people out, like, that's not okay. Like if you see something, say something that that still works. Right. So if you see marketing that you don't like, like talk to somebody about it, because the more people that are talking about it, you saw it with the Tropicana campaign, everybody, the recovery community came unglued. And that campaign got shut down very quickly, which that also took a lot of work to shut it down that quickly. So as our collective voice rises, there is power in that because we are becoming a very powerful consumer. I'm in advertising. I look at everything from a marketing perspective. And, you know, you could argue that people that are in recovery have accessible income because they're no longer spending it on drugs and alcohol, right? They're spending it on things to, to improve their health and well-being. So we are a desirable, a desirable consumer, especially because many of us, after we do get sober and recovered, we go on to do great things, uh, especially professionally. So because, I mean, I don't know any alcoholic that's not an overachiever. Think of everything we did to survive from the get-go. So- I do think we're going to see things pivoting. Do I think that drinking is going to become what like the taboo that maybe smoking has now, but it certainly didn't 20 years ago. I know because I was a smoker. Marble menthol lights, thank you very much. But I think it is changing. And I do think it's going to look incredibly different five years from now, 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In 10 years, what would you say to your future self? You can do hard things. That's always, I would say that to my early sober self too, because at the root of everything is fear and, and lack of self-confidence. And, and a lot of times we tell ourselves these things that aren't true and we can do hard things. And I, what I've learned, especially 
in a life in recovery is I can do hard things and I don't even have to enjoy the process, but I still get the results, even if I don't enjoy the process. And I am a results driven person. I like results. What's your process in making things happen? I don't know. I'm pretty spazzy. I'm very, I don't, I, I have a friend, one of my best friends, we joke that she is the chief details officer because I do not pay attention to details. I am a skimmer. I want just enough information because I, I have so much rolling around up here. I can't retain it all. So just, just give me the, you know, the cliff notes version. And I, you know, I end up doing things the hard way sometimes by not reading the instruction manual, but I just, if I set out to do something, there's not a lot that's going to get in my way from getting it accomplished. Now I have to be open to the, to the art of the pivot, right? You, sometimes you get things go away. You didn't anticipate and you have to reassess and adjust your sales. So it's being nimble enough and owning mistakes. Like I learn the most from the mistakes that I make. I don't learn much from my victories, right? So what have, what has been one of your recent mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. You've had to pivot or you've like, what is that? Because there's a lot of mothers that listen to this show and what can you share with them? I'm like, okay, this was my mistake and this is how I did the pivot. Give them some inspiration, mm-hmm. Elise. Oh, oh, on the spot, on the spot. I had, I had a misunderstanding happen with someone that has become a friend of mine and there was a breakdown in communication and I just couldn't believe that they had thought these things had happened. And when I went back and looked at, looked at it, it was like, well, I wasn't as clear in my communication as I should have been. And if I had been more clear, the chances are Now they still may have been upset about X, Y, or Z, but at least the groundwork would have been more clear. And sometimes I move really fast. I move incredibly fast. And so, and I make assumptions and, and sometimes I just need to slow down, just slow down and just be in it for a minute and let other people process things too. Did you own, did you go to your friend and own it? I did. Yeah, I owned it. I completely owned it. And in fact, I owned it to the to the degree of I didn't bring up anything that was like, well, but you did this, this, and this. Because that has that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. I needed to own, I need to clean up my side of the street. The rest of it will work itself out. So it's really just looking at my part. I owned it. I moved on. Mm-hmm. And I didn't need to be like, well, but this, this, and this, that doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. And letting things go and picking your battles. I mean, if anything like that, we have learned in the last year and a half is I have, I have really reevaluated how I spend my time and who I spend my time and that I love JOMO, the joy of missing out. I don't need to have FOMO anymore right? I don't need to do everything. I don't need to be everything to everyone. It's okay to say no and not worry about, am I hurting somebody else's feelings? If I need to say no for whatever reason to protect my own mental health or that I'm, you know, I just can't do it all. Like saying no is okay. And just taking time for myself and what's really important versus just doing it all. That comes up all the time. Right. Because as mothers, we do everything. We're busy on the go. 
time is short. Yes, I can do it. But that there's power in saying no. And I don't feel like we say no until we've got some time under our belts until we've really dug underneath the mat a little bit and searched spiritually of like, what's going to feed me. Like you just said something really important. Like I'm going to spend time with people who matter. I'm going to like be with people, right? I get to make that choice. And when we're, what I find is that when we're in that kind of addictive or alcoholism thinking, we're not thinking about what matters. We're not thinking about spending quality time with Mm -hmm. somebody. We're just thinking, oh, I I have to do this because this is my job, right? This is like, I have a silent contract with my husband and I have to sit with him next to him on the couch. You know, I I have to drive my kid to school because that's the silent contract that I have to live with forever. I have to say yes to these things. But really, like what you just said is so powerful. No, I don't. The no doesn't even, it doesn't have to have an explanation. You don't owe it to anyone to explain your no. It can just be no. (laughs) Yeah, and no, not right now. Yeah. Maybe later. So, so powerful. So powerful. Do you have a spiritual practice? I do. I, I grew up in a Christian home. Both my grandfathers were pastors. And so there are still a lot of things that I pull from the Bible that, that feed my soul, but I also love prayer and meditation. And I think, you know, it's interesting to read about astrology and get your chakras cleared and crystals. And honestly, there are some amazing, um, meditation games that I play with my son's Oculus, his virtual reality goggles that are really enjoyable. And so I just love recharging whatever that looks like. And that can look like a lot of different things. I love crafting. I'm not an artist. Right now I'm cross-stitching a cross-stitch pattern of Amy Winehouse's head I don't know if it's going to look like her when I'm done, to be honest with you, but I'm enjoying the process. You know, I enjoy taking a bath. I enjoy time with my dogs. I love sleeping. I love coloring. I love decorating. I love shopping. I love art museums. I went and checked out a new exhibit here in Seattle last night. It was a Disney costume exhibit of heroes and villains. And you could see all these costumes that have been all in all these movies. I love that kind of stuff and taking pictures. I like doing things that don't necessarily have to cost a lot of money, but I just find them very fulfilling and rewarding and relaxing. Feed the soul. Yep. That's what they do. It feeds the soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, before getting sober, were any of these things your activities? Oh, no, no. No, <laughs> no right. Just so different. Drinking. And I, I did plan a lot of my outfits, my drinking outfits, because uh-huh. I was a club girl. So I was very much like either planning the outfits, planning the, the drinking, doing the drinking, and then recovering from the drinking, and then repeat and cycle. Yeah. That's all it, that that was. It's such a journey, recovery, and it's such an, an, an interesting process. And that we get to live, we get this opportunity to really fulfill our soul's purpose. So you are an amazing mother. You can show up. You're not hungover or sleeping when your son calls, like you you can be present. You work full time. Like you're invested Mm -hmm. people. People know that you're going to show up. Yep. People count on you. Uh, You work for nonprofit, like you put the nonprofit things together. You're passionate about these adventures. I call them because everything in sobriety feels like an adventure. 
It's like, there's no big deals anymore now that we're sober. Uh, and you're doing the sober curator, which makes me so happy. Which is so fun. And I, I can't wait to see where it goes. Like, I wish I could tell you that I've put together the most amazing business plan. I have not, but there are now 25 people contributing to the site. We've got a, you know, a, a nice little club growing on clubhouse. The world is opening back up, you know, this idea of like a treatment center for long-term recovery people, or, you know, doing some kind of like, I can even envision some kind of annual conference where you yes. go and you can do really interesting panels, but you can also do really fun experiences. Great. Whether they're dining and food experiences, dancing, taking in a show. I love life. Yes. I love life now that I've decided I'm going to live it. And so I just want I want to really enjoy all that I work for. Yeah. Yeah. Fills my heart to have you on the show today. Elise, where do you want people to follow your journey? Well, you can follow along at thesobercurator.com. And that's the same handle on Instagram, Facebook. I'm on TikTok, but not really. There's no point in following me there. (laughs) And Twitter, I'm not really on. I mean, I have an account. I put things out, but Instagram and, and the website are predominant and clubhouse are predominantly where we're currently at. And you know, who knows, maybe there will be an actual magazine someday. Maybe there'll be a large scale event. Maybe there'll be a retreat. I don't know. Yep. I think so. I think so. Uh, Mama, I hope that you have enjoyed this conversation and that you got the nuggets that you needed May you find something bright, something so delicious that fills you up to be the best mother I know you can be. Elise, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Until next time, friend, take good care. Hey, are you trying to overcome burnout? So many people are. You're not alone. And maybe you have perfectionism running through you and ruminating thoughts of how to do something maybe you avoid things. I don't know. It gets tricky the longer that we are in recovery. The good news is that I help women in recovery access the life they imagined through a practice of mindfulness. I have an eight-week program. Eight weeks. That's what it takes to change your life around where you can start living and thriving in your life, the life that you got sober for. If you're burnt out in your recovery and you need a tune-up, you want to try something else, check out the Mindful Safeguard. You can find out more information over at Recover Like a Mother. Get on the wait list. It's an eight-week program. It opens and closes. And I would love to have you participate because I know that you didn't get sober just to live in mediocrity. No, you got sober to live a life beyond your wildest dreams. All right. I hope to see you in there. Thanks again for listening to the show.